Welcome to Fireside Breakdowns. I'm Robin. And I'm John. And together we research and break down complex issues facing our society, and then we bring our findings to you every other week. Our promise to you is to bring honest analysis backed by research, to skew our bias toward what can be factually supported, and to try to make it really clear when we're giving our opinion versus speaking about actual research. Naturally, we're human, and our blind spots and our biases are going to show through. But our goal isn't to convince you to think any certain way. We want to give you everyone a foundational understanding of these complicated topics so that together we can discuss and address them in a thoughtful and beneficial way. Due to the nature of our podcast, some of the things we talk about can get pretty heavy, they might be divisive. <laughs> we try to lighten the mood and avoid too much doom and gloom. And oh my God, especially this week, <laughs> we are trying to avoid that. Uh, but we do suggest getting comfortable, maybe having a good drink or five on hand as we work through this stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this week it, I've got my mason jar uh, it, yeah. because we have decided to take a little break from our deep dive uh, perspective. And instead, we're going to discuss a few of the issues that have come out of this election. We're recording on th Thursday. The election was Tuesday. Um, so settle in as we cover some of the things that we've discovered through the course of the selection from the comparatively mundane to the what the actual insert beep here. <laughs> Welcome to our fireside. So before we dive into things, I want to take a second to say hi to our youngest listener. That's right. Young Atticus is a mere six years old, or a whole six years old, pardon me. And he is basically the human equivalent of a perpetual motion machine. I have it on very good authority that he was asking his mom endless questions about the Electoral College as she attempted to listen to our last session. Sorry, Savannah. But thank you, Atticus. Stay curious. Keep asking questions. Sorry, Savannah. And I cannot wait to hear where your curiosity takes you. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. I thought that was great. I he really that. is. He's a he nonstop kid, but he's super nice. That's so cool. Savannah will, of course, send me angry messages about that. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's okay. I mean, my kids are 11 and 12, and they're at the point where they're like, ugh, are you still talking about that? So I love I love the idea of a cu the curiosity of a six-year-old, you know? It's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful. It change the world. Because half this population sure isn't curious right now. I mean, unless it has something to do with a stinking conspiracy theory uh, or uh, asserting just... I'm going to let that one go. Yep. I am reaping the benefits of the curation that I did of my social media feeds this spring because there is not a lot of crazy happening in my area of the world. No. Um, you know, and <laughs> I do want to say, if you happen to be listening to this podcast and you are among that, that population group, first of all, welcome. We are happy to have you here. Secondly, I know that that is not 
a great way to welcome you to the podcast <laughs> by saying these things are crazy. And I can understand, I think, the inclination to to want these things to be true. But as we say in our introduction, we do try to lean towards things that we can support with fact, with reporting, uh, things that we can back up and assert. And right now, a lot of what's being asserted by President Trump and his team has very little to no factual basis. And I, that, that is not an opinion. We literally cannot find things to support what are being said. So again, we, are, we hope you stick around. We hope you're here. We would love right. for you to listen to us. Um, even if you don't always agree with us, uh, don't take that as an attack on you personally. That is not our intent whatsoever. No, and if you have evidence, if you find facts that we could not find, uh, we would love for you to send them to us, and we will gladly discuss them with you. Absolutely. Especially this week, everyone is just a little frayed. <laughs> I know. I am personally strung so tight that I feel like the smallest of inconveniences would send me plummeting over the edge of an existential crisis. And, I mean, if the messages that I have personally been getting, and I am sure you have been getting, are any indication, we are not alone in that feeling. And it's no wonder about that either. Yeah, I mean, West, 70% of voters polled believe that our democracy is in danger in this election. And that's according to an early October Fox News poll, right? Uh, Including about 8 in 10 supporters of the Democratic candidate, former Vice President Joe Biden, and 6 in 10 supporters of President Donald Trump. Over two-thirds of U.S. adults also say that the 2020 election has become a significant source of stress in their lives. Uh, And that's a survey by the American Psychological Association, also an early October. I cannot even imagine if they were to do that same poll uh, today. Um, I I mean, I know I have no fewer than three friends that I have been talking off the ledge daily uh, Mm -hmm. so far. Yeah, I've got it. Yeah, about the same. Uh, Just like, what about this? What about this? What about this? Right. And a lot of the things we're going to talk about are actually derived from those conversations um, in this episode. But yeah, it's, there's just so much uncertainty right now. And everybody is just glued to their televisions watching these, these numbers slowly tally up. I guess it's 2020, so it's probably glued to their cell phones. Um, (laughs) Yeah. This year, more than three quarters of Americans, so 77%. Uh, say that the future of our nation is a significant source of stress, which is up from 66% in 2019. Um, Likewise, the current political climate is reported as a significant source of stress by more than two-thirds of Americans, 68%, compared with 62% who said the same in 2019. Uh, And that's from the American Psychological Association. So, (laughs) <laughs> we're seeing across the board just an uptick in yeah. indications of stress and and anxiety, if you will, yeah. uh, in, in the American population. And that's regardless of political party. It's I would something... love to see numbers for alcohol sales, total alcohol sales. Just I saw, I saw a meme. I'm not sure if it's true. So, 
you know, take it this with a grain of salt. But I did see a meme saying that uh, Google searches for liquor stores near me <laughs> hit, an, hit an all-time high on election night. Of course so, they did. Of course I, they did. I want to believe it. I believe it. I definitely broke out the uh, the bullet rye um, <laughs> that night and had it in my coffee. I was up until three o'clock in the morning watching watching stuff roll in, seeing how it, it broke out. I had at one point three different live streams up that I was bouncing between. <laughs> listening to the different analyses and of course one was the did. associated press and one was uh crooked media's uh version and one was uh cnn so i got a pretty pretty diverse spectrum it's been interesting watching these things roll in cnn's been taking a very conservative approach to calling states uh actually more so than fox this year which is blowing my mind fox called arizona on like tuesday or wednesday yeah. And CNN still hasn't called Arizona. No, and the, so. didn't the governor of Arizona like come out and say, hey, don't call us? Yeah, uh, I, I think it was, I don't know if it was the governor. I know that Trump's campaign team was like, uh, there's still like 600,000 outstanding votes. Why are you calling Arizona? Yeah. Um, but I, to my understanding, one of the reasons it got called so early is that the majority of the votes were from Maricopa County, which is just heavily Democratic right now. Yeah. And they were mail-in, which is also heavily Democratic right now. Right. So the source of the ballots and the uh, the geographic location of them kind of led people to be like, well, yeah, there's a chance, but... Right. And yeah, as we're watching numbers roll in, it is looking like, even though Biden's lead is not what it was... Earlier this week, I it does look like it's probably gonna stay ahead. If it doesn't, I mean, by the time this comes out, you know, people will be listening to this on Monday. So I'm sure, right. I'm sure, if I am wrong, <laughs> that they'll be listening to this, going, "Wow, history will <laughs> find yeah. us out for sure." So uh, put some put some uh, prognostication insurance on that on that thought right there. I yeah. could definitely be wrong. It's just. Also, if you're listening to this and you are not quite sure how um, elections get called in the media, because we were talking about different outlets not calling different states, um, the Associated Press has a really, really good article that we will link to in the show notes that explains exactly how they do the calling process for these different elections. Um, and it's based on a mix of historical statistics and um, a polling system that they created and a whole bunch of other things. Um, but they do a really good job of explaining how they do that. And then um, most major news outlets use the AP as their source for when an election is called in a particular state. And then some diverge and do their own thing. Uh, but we'll link to that in the show notes in case you yeah. don't know how that works. Yeah, no, it's it's very interesting. If... <laughs> If you like math and statistics and, and <laughs> projections, that is. Yeah. But even if you don't, you can understand it because yes. I'm yes. not a math read person, it. but it makes sense to me. Read it. Yes, definitely read it. I just want to talk for just a little bit about something because I'm sure everybody listening to this, regardless of their party, is feeling similar. You know, humans are particularly bad at dealing with uncertainty. 
especially when we cannot do anything about that uncertainty. The good news is the die has been cast. So the, the uncertainty about what will happen on election day is over, which is a load off of a lot of people's shoulders. I know it was mine. I actually woke up election morning like singing, which was had, really weird for me because I am not a morning person, but it was just <laughs> the idea that like I could do something. Yeah. I had something I could do. It really helped me with the stress. Of course, that feeling immediately went away as Tuesday turned into Wednesday and, and then this week and it, whatever. But at least I had something to do at that point and made me feel better. There's nothing right now that you or I or anybody listening to this can do uh, to alter what's going to happen. Typically... Typically, our, our experiences of fear or anxiety or more generally stress differ depending on whether the threat is immediate or impending. So different threats result in different behavior. Immediate threats usually lead to immediate action. We kind of touched on this when we were talking about the debate, that that fight or flight or freezing or now fawning. Those are all reactions that we have to threats. Those reactions deal with the threat in some way. However, right now we're not really dealing with a threat. We're dealing with something different. We're dealing with worry. Worry about an impending threat, which leads to things like increased vigilance and muscular tension, you know, leading to headaches and insomnia, attention lapses, that sort of thing. Second, the response to an immediate threat is often, the term is analgesic, it means it reduces discomfort, it reduces pain sensations, if you will, while worry about something coming down the pipe is almost the exact opposite. It magnifies those feelings <laughs> of discomfort and stress. So our subconscious drives us and drives us and drives us and drives us to find something that we can do to resolve the issue. And when there's nothing we can really do, that anxiety, that worry will progress into, into terror, which is kind of a, a big word for what people are feeling right now. But it will, it will progress into that, that, that low-level background radiation of, of fear, of terror. It's just always there, always poking at you. An election, in a lot of ways, is just the perfect storm of stressors to people. The results are looming ahead, but nothing you do brings the end any closer, especially when Nevada hires sloths to count their tallies, you know? <laughs> um, nothing, the election, the results are directly going to impact your personal health, your well-being, but you can't do anything to directly change the outcome. Everything you do is ultimately ineffective in making things better. So all you can do is wait. So therefore, we're kind of plunged into this loop of trying to find certainty among the chaos. And we can't. We're effectively powerless. And when we feel powerless, we become susceptible to things like depression and hopelessness and eventually despair. You know, longer term, we, we even lose our ability to feel things like hope. The combinations of helplessness and hopelessness, those are absolutely toxic to our sense of self, our sense of well-being. So all of that to say that right now you, the listener, 
you're probably feeling pretty weird. Um, no matter, like I said, no matter where you land on the political spectrum, you probably find yourself struggling to focus, sleeping poorly. Uh, your emotions are probably all over the map right now. Um, maybe you're stress eating. Maybe you're not eating. Maybe you're not feeling motivated. Maybe you're, you're, you've got so much energy you can't get rid of it or you don't have any energy. You, didn't, you can't even go to the gym. I actually didn't go to the gym today, which is not a normal thing. I came home and took a nap and I woke up like an hour and a half before we started recording. <laughs> I was out. I got home at 2 30 and we, we started wow. recording at nine. I just passed out. Um, so yeah, not great. Not great. And I still am tired. We're going to finish this. I'm going to go straight to bed. <laughs> there will be no passing go. <laughs> I'm yeah. Just be like, all right, bye. Click. Um, these departures from your normal behavior are just, they're normal. They are normal. They're abnormal from your behavior, but it's normal for humans to do that. It doesn't mean that they're good by any means. It just means it's normal. It's not okay. It is human. So I just want to encourage our listeners to, to, to give themselves permission to disconnect for a while, to take care of yourself. Take care of yourself if you need to. It is okay to ask for help. It is okay to turn off the television, to turn off the polls, to turn off our podcast. You know, okay. that's fine. We will be here when you turn it back on. The polls, they're going to be, I guarantee they're going to be there when you are ready to come back. What's not okay is letting yourself stay in that mental loop, just running around trying to find something you can do, running yourself ragged and wearing yourself out. When you can't, Get back to normal. Work towards making this world a better place. Find something you can do. But you don't have to find it right now. This world is going to need a dedicated army of folks making it better. One of my friends sent me a message about this, and I wish I knew the source of it because it is pretty, pretty prescient. It basically talks about how much work there is to do in the United States. Even if Biden wins, you know, this election has really shown that there are a lot of people who who are okay with what Trump has driven this country towards in the past four years. Um We've got people pounding on ballot counting office windows and taking over Capitol buildings with guns and plotting to kidnap governors. <laughs> you know, there are protests outside the White House and there have been, you know, forever, but even more so uh, that are more involved, more, I don't know if they're more violent, but they seem more violent. It just, when you step back and look at things, it looks more chaotic now than it certainly looked four years ago. And 60 million plus Americans have, or almost 70, I guess, have, uh, have shown that they, they're okay with that, that they want it. And that can get very disheartening. 
but I'll tell our listeners the same thing that I told her. You know, there is work to be done. Just because this is the way that things are right now is not, does not mean that it is the way things have to always be. And fixing a problem like that, or at least getting people out of this mentality of just accepting that this behavior is okay, this, this happens one person, one outreach, one conversation at a time. There is no president, there's no politician, there's no leader that is going to be able to, to unify all of us right now because nobody is willing to be unified by a leader. It's going to happen with one-on-one conversations. So we got to do the work. We just do. That's one of the reasons this podcast exists is to, to try to do the work. And we're trying to magnify our voice so that these conversations happen, you know, hopefully someday like thousands of people at a time. I'm just saying <laughs> share with your friends. That would be cool. But that they happen and, and hopefully happen exponentially at a time rather than just one-on-one and that we can help people who listen to this you know adjust how they think not necessarily to agree with us but to approach problems from different angles to think about it differently and to have these conversations with other people who might not listen to us or get them to listen to us um and if we sit around and we despair at the size of the mountain that we have to climb we're never gonna climb it yeah. So take that break, get your head right. Remember that self-care is a long-term process. It is not necessarily just a bubble bath or something. It is investment in yourself. It is constant work. Do that work. And then when you can, turn that energy outward and do the work in the world. Yep. Yeah. Robin, exactly. what are we actually supposed to be talking about today? Now that I've right. had my soapbox moment. I'm sorry. I, That's good. I had I have a lot of thoughts. It's okay. You had a Fraser Crane moment. Oh. Those are valuable. Few and far between anymore. So what we are actually talking about today, we just kind of wanted to go through and answer some of the questions that we've been seeing from our friends, from our family, from people on the interwebs in general about what on earth is going on and what things might look like going forward with this election. And we got a lot of questions too. Um, yeah. I think I'll, I'll go through the questions that we got really quick before we talk about them yeah, so people it. know what we're going to talk about. Um, first, like what the heck happened on Tuesday and Wednesday? <laughs> like why did votes for Biden spike? What were we looking at? Why was the whole map red and now it's not? That sort of thing. The president's been insinuating that there's fraud happening in just about every state. Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona. I think Nevada's probably in there somewhere. Oh, Um, yeah. And says that his lawyers have won court cases in those states. So what the heck is he talking about? What happens more generally if neither candidate gets to 270? We didn't actually discuss this when we were talking about the Electoral College. Yeah, we didn't was an oversight on our part. (laughs) Our bad guys. Um, So we'll address that. What does it mean if neither the House or Senate uh, gain a controlling majority? What what does that mean? What does controlling majority mean? We can talk about that. 
what is Georgia's Senate race? What is a runoff? What is happening there? Are there any legal grounds for counting votes that arrived, uh, for not counting votes rather, that arrived after election date? What's going on with the post office? And then I'll, I'm going to talk really shortly about these posts that we keep seeing, like no matter who wins the election, I just I got another thing I want to relate to people that, that'll <laughs> be at the end. And I think maybe we'll take a moment to kind of talk about some lessons that we've learned already. Yeah. I, you know, not, not, we're not going to get into research about it or stuff, just stuff that I've been thinking about. I'm sure you've got thoughts about what you've noticed in this, from this election. Uh, probably going to come in at a much shorter episode than our last uh, two hour uh, king size special for Halloween. Ooh, you're um, welcome, everyone. Yeah, I'm hoping, especially for my own sanity, I don't think I can edit another two hour episode this week. <laughs> Uh, oh, we are yeah. tired too, folks. So this one will will likely be shorter. We'll we'll try to bring yeah. this one in under that uh, that two hour <laughs> two hour mark. That's a bar. I'm pretty sure we can hit tonight. Um, I we only have nine pages this time. <laughs> so God willing, yes, we right? will get through it. For um, the record, that's less than half of what we usually have. So yeah, we did we're not still already. We're we starting deep dive. Already. Yeah. All right. So hour in though, so let's get to it. <laughs> it's good. It's good. So, okay. Robin, what, what happened, happened Tuesday or Wednesday? And Wednesday, why did what? Biden's vote spike? Yeah. Is that not fraud? Talk to me right. about it. Okay. So this was one of the most prevalent questions that I encountered on Wednesday, um, and, and granted, right? Like from an out to an outside observer, these spikes, significant spikes, seemingly out of nowhere, overnight for Biden on Tuesday going into Wednesday, um, probably looked really, really suspicious. And then, of course, President Trump and his supporters uh, did not make it any better as he came out Wednesday and just basically made the claims that ballots were suddenly appearing at polling places, all of which seemed to be for Biden. I think he said something like ballots were just you know, appearing out of nowhere, yeah, coming like, in from everywhere or something, something like found that. Found in people's garages and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Um, and and the, so there's, there's a couple things going on here, right? The truth behind this is really a couple of different things. First, on some of the reported results uh, overnight on Tuesday, there was a really sudden and very large uh, apparent spike of votes that showed in some news outlets coverage of the vote count in Michigan specifically. Um, there was a set of screenshots circulating on social media Wednesday that showed what appeared to be a spike of somewhere between 150,000, somewhere around 150,000 votes for Biden in Michigan, as compared to something like 23,000 votes for Trump, right? It was hugely outsized. And the source of that information was Decision Desk HQ, which is an online media outlet, and they've been very effectively collecting and relaying election information since we started tallying stuff coming in on Tuesday. And like most dazzling controversies, the reality behind this one was far less sexy than a midnight ballot dumping rendezvous, right? Um, I know, we're all hoping for that. But what actually happened is that there was a real-life human entering numbers on a fast-paced <gasps> and frantic <laughs> election night. And they accidentally added a zero to the number that they were typing. So the trackers that many, many, many people were watching showed a huge and very sudden jump for Biden. And many, many, many people grabbed a screenshot of that jump. But then the internet called the mistake to Decision Desk's attention. And they checked those numbers and they corrected those numbers. 
And then many, many people saw that number drop. Uh, but what happened was some of those people grabbed that second screenshot. And then someone on the internet to whom we will give the benefit of the doubt, right? I'm not throwing any accusations at anybody, but somebody put those two screenshots together backwards and used it to show an apparent jump rather than the actual corrected decline in votes for Biden in Michigan. And as they say, the crowd went wild. Uh, it even made its way into the Slack conversation at my very logic-focused uh, website developer workplace. Thankfully, one level-headed soul shared a link to a very helpful Twitter thread that you'll find in the show notes that helped clear up the confusion and uh, they spell out exactly what happened. So yeah, no midnight ballot dumping rendezvous, just a human who accidentally put a zero where there should not have been a zero in one county's election results. No. It, I know. Why is it always a fat finger and not like the next, you know, super right. international spy thriller from 007? Come on. It's not Carmen Sandiego showing up in her red coat to deliver some ballots for Biden. Curses. The second part of this analysis it comes down to state and local rules on when mail-in early and absentee votes could be counted. So in 17 states, those votes could be processed and counted before Election Day. So they were just kind of included in the rolling totals as those states began reporting the results. In 16 other states, however... Mail-in and absentee votes could not be counted until Election Day alongside in-person votes. Some of them, I think, didn't even start until two, uh, Wednesday morning. Like 7 a.m. Wednesday yeah. morning didn't start counting. So the totals started to come in with in-person results as, as, the, as those were reported. But the huge volumes of mail and early votes meant that those ballots would need to be counted well into the night and into the next day. And into the night again, and into the next day, and into the night again. <laughs> and it's Friday, almost, and right. we don't have totals for some critical states here. The states in those categories that didn't start counting until later are Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Georgia, too. So these states were under the most scrutiny. Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania are the blue wall. If you don't know what that is uh, because you're not a an election hack um, <laughs> like we might be turning into. The blue wall okay. is basically the the Democratic holdout in the Midwest. It's really more like the Northeast, but not quite New York area. The Great Lakes region um, that kind of almost guarantee hand a Democrat a bunch of electoral votes. Yeah. And it is what Trump just destroyed, ironically, now that I think about it. <laughs> Trump destroyed a wall by promising to build a wall. <laughs> In 2016, he yeah. took these states, which is what gave him the election, uh, and you know, among a million other factors. But it's one of the many factors that led to him winning uh, on election night in 2016. Then... In 17 other states, oh, this is what I was talking about earlier. I should have yeah. read ahead a little bit. Sorry, Robin. It's good. You're um, good. A lot of ballots couldn't be counted until after the polls closed on Tuesday. So the huge volume of those ballots 
meant that those counts lagged even further behind yeah. the in-person votes pretty significantly. And so if you remember from our vote-by-mail program, we know that historically in-person votes tend to favor Republicans, while mail-in and early votes tend to favor Democrats, and especially this year very, very heavily. Yes. Like, it's, if you don't know what you're looking at, it looks suspicious. So those factors combined meant that as states wrapped up their in-person election day vote counts and moved into the mail-in votes, the totals on the Biden side increased a lot, while the totals on Trump didn't. So if you're just looking at a line graph, it kind of looks like Trump hit a ceiling and then Biden kept climbing. It's like, well, where are all these ballots coming from? If you have been listening to the news for the past few few. Months. I almost said years because it felt like it, but no. Just <laughs> it really, really has felt like it. And I don't know if Fox necessarily has addressed this. So if that's your primary news source, I, I don't know. But most news outlets have been talking about what they dubbed the Red Mirage, mm-hmm. which is that when polls closed on election night, it would look like Trump had won because all of the in-person votes, or sorry, the majority of the in-person votes would favor Republicans. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, This year, especially, remember, Trump spent the entire year telling his supporters, don't vote by mail. It's going to lead to fraud. Go into the polls. Vote in person. And so that's what his supporters did. They went in and they they voted in person. I actually waited... (laughs) For election day to vote specifically because I wanted to see what was going on at the polls. Yeah, um, same. And actually, it was really easy for me. I was in and out in 10 minutes Same. Uh, because I had to vote so early in the morning, which is a little bit of a letdown. I wanted to see the lines. But that's what we saw. We saw just massive turnout. In, and make no mistake, Trump had massive, massive turnout across yes. the nation. He managed to register people in counties far outside of the suburbs and the experts that just don't vote or historically haven't vote and yeah. get them to show up to the polls, which is great. I need more people to show up to the polls. Yes. Like I am 100% always for literally everybody that can possibly vote voting because yep. that is the healthiest thing for a democracy. <laughs> And the, what I'm afraid of is that they are only going to vote in this election and that they're never going to make their voices heard <laughs> again, which right. uh, it would be sad. It really would be because, again, a healthy democracy takes into account more people, the most people it possibly can. Anyway, so, yeah, it, the Trump looked really great on election night, but Biden also had record turnout. In fact, record-setting turnout. The most votes for any presidential candidate in history levels of turnout. Yes. And and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing... I don't think a blue wave is the apt term for it, given the state of certain races and stuff. But what we're seeing is that the mirage was just that in a lot of places. And Trump's commanding lead was simply because votes... All of the legal votes hadn't been tallied yet. So we're not seeing any chicanery. It's literally just votes being counted. If these had happened 
at the polls, you would be getting these same results. It just wouldn't be spread out over the course of a week, you know, yeah. which might be better for the psyche of our nation. <laughs> they wouldn't be scanned in by dedicated election workers at 2 a.m. Uh, which, thank you. If you're, if you're out there listening and you were an election worker, thank you so much for being willing to go out and interact with potentially thousands of people that you've never met in your life in the middle of a global pandemic. Uh, being willing to stay and count election results late into the night. We appreciate that so incredibly much. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And something so, I want to say is uh, election workers are from both parties. So yes. it's not like it's just a bunch of Democrats at the polls, like throwing, <laughs> throwing Trump's ballots into the trash or anything. And that's something that I think is very insulting to our election workers when Trump is saying that this is all fraud. It's like, well, yeah. A lot of your supporters are are in there, Mr. President, and you're just telling them that what they're part and parcel of this fraud. It's again, yeah. He doesn't always think through the implications of the things that he says. He doesn't. I know. We and we'll we'll talk this. about that a little bit in a minute here when we talk about fraud. But I think it's it's worth noting as we're talking about how these results uh, came in overnight Tuesday and into Wednesday. I have a feeling that there are a lot of pollsters out there and a lot of algorithms that are going to be adjusted very heavily after this election. Um, yeah. A lot of the polls were preparing the United States for what they were deeming as the blue wave. Like, they were pretty confident that the Democratic candidates were going to sweep both in the House and in the Senate and that they were going to take the presidency by a very clear margin. Um, and what we're seeing is that it's coming down to literally a fingernail's edge in five states right now. Mm. Six states, depending on, on how you uh, you consider what's going on in, in Wisconsin. But um, yeah. it's coming Razor. down to a razor's edge. Yeah, I have n- never heard that phrase abused so thoroughly in my life, though, that <laughs> I am getting so tired of hearing the phrase razor's edge, razor <laughs> thin, or... <laughs> Just like, oh my gosh, finding paper thin, onion oh, skin. I'm trying to think anything, of other phrases. Anything that we else besides from razor thin. I get it. It's close. It's so close. Sprinkle some di- diversity into your metaphors, please. Um, yeah. No, I, that's something. One of the things uh, we'll talk about it real quick now. We don't have to put it at the end. Is one of the things that I think we're going to take away from this election that we should have that we did take away from the 2016 election, and that we will have to adjust again after this one is that polls again are only snapshots in time and they're not necessarily representative of the entire population. And what's really weird is that the lessons that we learned in 2016 applied really, really well to 2018. Mm-hmm. The polls in 2018 were dead on. Yeah. Or relatively dead on as, as you can get. I think there's a couple factors at play with these polls um, one of them is that I don't think that they took into account um, record-setting turnout from both parties. They yeah. kind of weighted Democratic turnout a little too heavily. And, it, you know, to be clear, in any year other than 2020, 70, what are we at? 72 plus million votes for the Democratic candidate yeah. and Democratic representatives, you know, throughout the nation down ballot. Uh, would be a blue wave. It would be a blue yeah. monso- monsoon. You know? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it'd be a blowout. But it's not because we have blowout 
you know, turnout on both sides right now. Yeah. So, of course, it's going to be closer. We're actually kind of, we're kind of using polls for 2016 when it may have been more accurate to use polls for two, from 2012 because it more accurately represented higher turnout or relatively equivalent turnout amongst both both parties. The other thing is that there's sort of like this, um, I think, maybe mentality that Trump supporters don't answer polls, mm-hmm. which because they're, they're like the embarrassed voter or something like that, which I don't think is true at all. Because think about the people who vote for Trump. Do any of them look embarrassed to you? I've never seen one that, that looked embarrassed. Oh, I know are not embarrassed. Yeah, I think it's more likely that the people who support Trump um, have an, a dis- distrust of instant institutions at large. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's not just that they distrust government. You know, they distrust distrust every organized institution. So, no, they're not going to answer a poll because they don't trust the people who are doing the polls. They're not going to pick up their phone for that. Right. And so we got to find some way, our pollsters, thank God I am not a pollster, have to find some way to account for that uh, that institutional distrust. Yeah, totally agree. It was a it was a big wake up call, I think, for a lot of math nerds. Hmm. So hopefully we'll we'll see some really interesting um, adaptions coming out for the twenty twenty two midterms. All right, so let's talk about fraud, right? <laughs> the president has insinuated <laughs> multiple times now that there is fraud happening in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Nevada, and Arizona. He says that his lawyers have won court cases in those states. So what exactly is he even talking about? Robin, I don't know. What is going on? Well, okay, this, so this one's fun, right? Let's start with the court cases because we know that those are documented and we can get some really credible news sources on that one. Uh, in several of these battleground states, the Trump team has filed lawsuits that are basically aimed at stopping the vote count. In Michigan, they allege that Republican election challengers were not given access to review absentee ballot counting and most specifically to review video footage of ballot drop boxes, right? They've got cameras on their ballot drop boxes and they are claiming that their election challengers were not allowed to review that video footage of voters actually dropping off their ballots. Um, but there were actually a lot of a lot of issues with that particular lawsuit that was filed and a judge actually dismissed the suit this morning, Thursday morning, saying that there was absolutely no legal basis or evidence to grant what the plaintiffs were asking for. Basically, they were suing the wrong person and asking for things that they weren't even entitled to under the law. Uh, yep. So a judge just kicked that one right out. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, and here's the thing. I don't know. I think that was the right call because if you look at, especially Wisconsin uh, and uh, Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, <laughs> there are cameras on the 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 vote counters like yeah. there are people in the room from both parties you can look in through windows and watch them count like none of there's this is happening stream. yeah there's yeah there's literally a live stream you could find it right now and watch it you know well hopefully by the time this comes out you can't because they'll be done but fingers crossed but yeah, we know that we're probably automatically going to go to recount in Wisconsin and in Michigan so yeah yeah uh, we can 
we might talk about that here in a second. And we'll have to now because somebody will ask. Um, <laughs> so really, 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 really quick. The short of that is a recount isn't going to happen until December, most likely in these states after these votes are authorized. And then any state where the count is within 1% between the parties, a recount can be requested by the losing party to make sure that the votes all got counted. So that's what we're going to see in December from, excuse me, from the Trump campaign. I got the hiccups all of a sudden. We're going to see challenges in probably the entire blue wall area um, because I think those were all within 1% or maybe just Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now. But anywhere where the vote was in within 1%, you're going to see a challenge. Especially yeah. if Biden ends up taking Georgia, you're going to see a challenge there and no a recount. Question. Guaranteed. Importantly, recounts, challenges, all of that usually only find a variance of like 10 votes, yeah. 15 on average. I think the most one has ever found is a couple hundred, and that was in like Florida in 2000. Right. So Hanging much situations. Yeah. Much larger states with much more variance in how votes were counted you're not going to see a swing of 20,000 votes or even 1,000 votes. That's just highly unlikely. Again, these votes aren't counted in some dark back room with only two people in there and they're both partisan and nobody can see what's happening. None of this takes place in secret. It's all publicly available information, can all be tracked specifically to combat against claims of fraud. That's yeah. why we the steps exist. So... It's, somebody can't just show up and dump a, a bin of ballots, <laughs> right, on the ground and be like, oh, look, crazy, more ballots. We snuck those into the pile, you know. And even if they could, as we discussed in our, in our vote by mail, you can't just print off fake ballots. That's not how this works. Nope. There, there's, there's so many validation steps to a ballot. You can't just, like, make them appear at it doesn't work like that. Yeah, it, it just, just doesn't, doesn't work like that. So in Wisconsin, Trump indicated that he would demand that recount, citing many irregularities in election results and reporting. <sighs> Again, nobody has provided any evidence, any claim, any indication as to what those irregularities might be. And that's what we're seeing for a lot of these claims coming out of the president. There's no evidence for the claim. And... In our court of law, the person making the accusations is required to provide evidence of the crime. The defendant has no burden of proof. It's The burden of proof is always on the claimant, the person who is seeking restitution for the damages, if you will. They have to provide the evidence, and he's just not bringing it because yeah. for everything we can tell, there is none. Again, if you know of something that is not some... QAnon conspiracy theory. Feel right. free to send it to us and we will gladly review it. But I just haven't been able to find anything that's credible. No. I mean, and it, it goes exactly to that case in Philadelphia, right? The Trump campaign filed a suit claiming that their election challengers were forced to remain so far away from the counting process that they could not possibly do their jobs. And then they demanded that the voting stop until they could get closer access. I think they were something like 20 or 25 feet away and they wanted to be much closer. 
<laughs> so in this case, actually, the judge in Philadelphia agreed with them and they said, hey, as long as you are wearing masks, you can reduce the distance between you and the table. But the city appealed, basically saying that, look, you guys are here to be observers. You're not here to be auditors. You're not here to see every single thing that's happening. And with that appeal, the Trump camp immediately brought the issue to a federal court that would hear it, accusing the city of, and this is a quote, intentionally refusing to allow any representatives and poll watchers for President Trump and the Republican Party. That actually, that claim is a big deal because this that suit was dismissed this, this evening, Thursday evening, as moot because their claim was that they were intentionally refusing to allow any representatives and poll watchers for President Trump and the Republican Party. But as they gave evidence in court, there were a significant number of representatives and poll watchers for President Trump and the Republican Party. So they actually made a completely false claim in their lawsuit. And so the the resolution was that, in fact, their numbers were not as strong. There were not as many Republicans as there were uh, those observing for the Democratic side. So the judge said, fine, here's what we're going to do. We're going to set a number of observers from each camp. You guys can have that number of people in the room and get out of my courtroom, essentially, is what he said. Crazy. There's actually, like, training, by the way, for these poll watchers, these observers. It's not just any any Joe can walk in off the street right. and be a poll watcher. Like, you have to go through... It's not a lot of training. It's not onerous by any means, but like it's not like anybody can just walk in and be like, I'm a poll challenger for President Trump. Right. It's not how it's going to work. And if you try that, you're going to be turned away, which is probably where a lot of these claims of they're not allowing poll watchers right. for Trump in. Well, you're not a poll watcher. That's like a thing. That's that's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the issue with like the pizza Michael boxes. Scott, that one. I've yeah. seen so many people talking about the fact, well, they, they covered the windows. They put pizza boxes against the windows. So we couldn't look in and we couldn't watch. They did that because they actually had trained observers and representatives from both parties in the room, um, and they are not legally obligated to let a nana in a face shield who's banging on the window observe the count. They just, they don't have to let you do that, Karen. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I wasn't ready for the Karen. (laughs) Um... There's been some claims of fraud. <laughs> Again, just about an hour, I think, before we started recording this, so almost, which is about two hours ago, the president and his representatives have held a press conference now and just outright accused state election workers of fraud. It was a train wreck. I refused to watch that one. I, I Like I said... I have had so much stress that I haven't had any restful sleep this week, and I didn't want to add to it. So I will catch the highlights tomorrow, I am sure. But yeah, the, the summary that I have I have gathered from many, many, many sources is WTF. <laughs> I think Anderson Cooper. <laughs> That's my favorite. I want to do this quote justice. I might actually look it up for the podcast because it's so... It is. Um, it's so good. So the oatmeal, my one of my favorite cartoons of all time, has a beautiful illustration of this quote. Oh, does it already? Wow. Yes. Hold on. Okay. So the full quote, and like, again, I, I will... It is, it is so choice to hear Anderson Cooper delivering this line and his... 
very laconic way. I don't think we've ever seen anything like this from a president of the United States. And uh, I think, as Jake said, it is, it's sad and it is truly pathetic. And, of course, it is dangerous and, of course, it will go to courts. But you'll notice the president did not have any evidence presented at all. Nothing. No real actual evidence uh, of any kind of fraud. He talked about people putting up papers in windows. He talked about things that he'd seen on the Internet. That is the president of the United States. That is the most powerful person in the world. And we see him like an obese turtle on his back, flailing in the hot sun, realizing his time is over. But he just hasn't accepted it, and he wants to take everybody down with him, including this country. It's so good. (laughs) Uh, I told one of my friends after that happened that a lot of anger, a lot of our news folk are kind of done. Yeah, and <laughs> love it they, done. They're they're losing that veneer of professional disinterest that we expect mm-hmm. our anchors to have, and it's yes. been increasingly happening in uh, CNN, MSNBC lost like that years ago, but CNN especially has this year picked it up with the pandemic coverage, just like. snapping (laughs) um i've seen more than one confrontation between an anchor or host and a representative of the administration that's been on and they just they're like listen if you keep lying i'm going to kick you off the air yeah and that's not healthy on the outside for people who think that cnn is already like this massively liberal bias you know right probably Soros like owned and controlled thing. I don't know. That's just stupid conspiracies. And yeah, they have a liberal lean to them or left lean, but it's not near as bad as people would think. If you look at the, the media accountability, like the bias chart and how good it is, they're, they're, they're left of center for sure, but it's, (laughs) they are nowhere near as far left as Fox is right. And people think that they are equivalent and they are not. Nope. Regardless, anyway, so back to this claim of fraud. Um, Trump is basically in that in that speech, whatever. Um, he made accusations of counting ballots that shouldn't be counted, of allowing dead people and non-residents to vote, of counting stolen ballots. Basically, it's more of the same that we've been hearing since spring, since because he's been laying the groundwork for this. He's been saying this is going to happen, and now he is reaping what he has sown uh, with regards to his followers. He's saying, "See, I told you this would happen," and they are mm-hmm. they are eating it up. But he's he started when the expanded absentee programs would provide a way forward uh, for people concerned about the pandemic at this point the accusations are so new that evidence hasn't been presented uh, in any of the suits filed uh, like cooper said however there is no indication that the trump camp his campaign anybody's working for him has real evidence of fraud Uh, even in the stories that have been paraded in front of news crews uh, the one that you may have heard of is, um, is it Jill Stocky or Stokey? I think is Stokey. how you say it. Yeah. Uh, a Nevada woman 
She claimed that when she tried to vote in person, she was told that her mail-in ballot had already been received and counted. At a press conference this afternoon, I was actually watching this one. Her story was heralded as evidence of a corrupt system. However, she was given the opportunity by election officials to go through the appropriate process to challenge the ballot cast in her name, and she refused to do it. Yeah. So like that's the whole that, story right there. Yeah. Like why wouldn't if you if you think that your ballot was cast inappropriately, somebody else cast it, why would you not take the steps to resolve it? Right. Now, to be fair, there might be some reason. Maybe uh, uh, she was scared about being around people for that long. I doubt it, given that she claims to have been, I think, voting for Trump, right? So yeah. I doubt she's very concerned about the pandemic. But yeah, it's one of those one-off stories that looks to be more of an exception than a rule to begin mm-hmm. with. And as we said in our vote by mail, like fraud has never been proven or found on any level that would actually change the results of a campaign. And certainly in Nevada, I doubt very seriously this woman's vote is going to make the difference. Right. Biden's holding a roughly 10,000 vote lead. It's gone between 8 and 12. Um, And just at this point, even even if this story was true, it's not going to change anything. Well, I mean, and and the fact that that when given the opportunity to correct the problem she chose not to, um, that should that that speaks volumes. That should tell everyone yeah. exactly what's going on here. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I know if there was a ballot cast in my name that I didn't submit, you can bet your butt that I would be in there filing any challenge that they would possibly let me file. Um, no one speaks for me, and that should be the case for every voter in the United States. And so, uh, yes. It is really, really suspicious to anyone who um, who values logic that she would come out at a press conference and say that someone voted for her, but then refuse to challenge the ballot cast in her name. So. Yeah, it, the whole story, like most of these claims, it, it's fishy. Yeah. So I mean, I think be, it's going to be. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see how all of this unfolds in the next couple of days. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but my personal opinion is that we're not, there's not going to be anything, um, warning listeners, we're going to head solidly into opinion territory right now, but my education in public relations and my gut are telling me that these lawsuits that are being filed, even the ones that may actually have some shaky legal ground, they're not being filed to make any actual legal headway, but more in an effort to secure the Republican base's mind that the election was stolen from them. Um, and to add any fuel that they possibly can to the fire that they may be able to use in the midterms and in 2024. Right. At this uh, point, like we talked about earlier, there's recounts don't change the outcome by more than a couple hundred votes at best. And these lawsuits are getting dismissed left and right. And so it looks like there is very little actual recourse uh, should President Trump end up losing this election other than to... Um, to secure in their base's mind that that this was in fact stolen. You don't go out a loser, you go out having been cheated. And in my personal opinion, when you have a mental health issue like narcissistic personality disorder, again, opinion, not a psychologist, uh, but 
that kind of an outcome, an outcome in which you actually won but were cheated, is the only acceptable resolution to the situation. So that's kind of where I think that we're headed. They're going to use this to fight back in the midterms and in 2024 rather than using it to actually try to win an election in 2020. Yeah, I agree. This is, um, this is, I don't want to say necessarily smoke and mirrors, but it is, it's a, it's a false front. It's a facade to set up a reality that they can campaign with in, in a couple of years. And even, even from Trump's campaign, they're already talking about a 2024 bid. Literally for for Donald Trump running again in in 2024, which anyway, I'm not going to think about that right now. I can't. I, I I personally cannot stand the idea of another campaign cycle with Donald Trump as one of the candidates. Mm-hmm. And I know, again, this is obviously displaying my own bias here, but he just he wrecks American civil discourse yeah and there is something to be said for the idea that politics needed fixing but from my viewpoint politics was a fire and trump poured gas on it yeah he did nothing to resolve anything he he stoked up everything that was causing issues and exaggerated it and made it worse so that right now you would united states politics is really just a caricature of what it of itself it's mm-hmm. just absurd. It's absurd. And I think most most logical, free-thinking Americans are fed up with the state of politics in general. And it doesn't matter what their political affiliation is. That's something that I've been seeing, again, anecdotally. It's just like everybody kind of wants to take them all, all the politicians, and set them in a corner and tell them that you're in time out. Yeah. I think... This is a very morbid observation. I think we're kind of closer to to a large shift in the way politics operates one way or the other because the average age of our congressional leadership is so <laughs> old. It's so old. Um, and there's a quote that I lean on a lot. And again, very morbid, just disclaimer up front. Um but it was originally used in scientific fields of study. Um, but it basically, the quote is, you know, progress is made one death at a time. And that does not mean go out and kill people to make your no, ideas no. right. It means that old ideas tend to die off at yes. the same rate that the people who hold those ideas die off. And that's truly, that's going to be what causes American politics to shift more than anything is the death of the old guard because yeah. you're not going to convince most of these people that the way things are is wrong. We can certainly try. <laughs> Obviously we should be trying because people are inherently flawed and that just because I should say people are inherently flawed in their thinking doesn't mean that they can't be convinced to think differently but it, I think uh, for balance, the, the, the levers aren't going to really shift until the populace shifts. Another question, moving on. Yeah. Because we are dangerously like plowing into that second hour okay. already. All right. We're going we're gonna to um, blow through this. I'm going to ask you, are you ready? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Lay it on. Okay. 
What happens if neither candidate gets to 270 electoral votes? Dun, dun, dun. I saw this the question world ends, so it all much. blows up. That's what happens. The, the whole United States resets. I know. It's weird. It's right there in the Constitution. Big reset button. We all start over. Uh, no, that is not what happens. I have been seeing this question a lot. A lot, a lot. A lot of people wondering what happens if nobody gets 270. And, and just looking at the numbers right now, I'm going to make a bold prediction that this is not something we have to worry about this time around. By the, pie, by the time this comes out, this probably won't be a question on anybody's mind. But it's a good question overall. It's something, like I said, we didn't address in our last episode, and I think we should have. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to tackle it real quick now. So as we all know, a candidate must receive an absolute majority of electoral votes to win. Right now, that stands at 270 electoral votes. If neither candidate achieves 270 electoral votes, the election is determined through a contingency procedure established by the 12th Amendment. We touched on this a little bit. So in that procedure, the question of who, become president, who becomes president goes to Congress. The most common subtext of this question that I've been seeing on social media is that what happens if both candidates end up with exactly 269 <laughs> electoral votes, which is technically possible, but yeah. only just and only under a very limited set of circumstances. We were actually kind of set up for that this year yeah. when Biden took Nebraska's second, and it looks like Trump is going to take Maine second, which means the two states that actually don't have a winner take all, like we yeah. talked about, you know, actually split this time. But we're not in that territory anymore. We're but not. anyway, if this happened, not under that circumstance, under that circumstance, the very, very short story is that the House of Representatives determines the president. The 12th Amendment says that they must immediately choose, for the record, but that's probably an unenforceable stipulation. Regardless, the House must choose the next president from among three candidates, the three candidates with the highest electoral vote count. This will, in the modern political era, only be Republicans and Democrats because unless we have a faithless elector or something who gives their single electoral vote to a third-party candidate, there will only be two candidates with electoral <laughs> right. votes. But technically, if that happened, technically, that third-party candidate would be in the running. Um, which might not be a bad thing sometimes. Here's where things get a little sticky. Um, and this is, we talked about this too. Thomas Jefferson did not like the, the contingency election. And, and this is why. Um, each representative in the House doesn't get a vote. It's each state gets a vote. So there are only 50 votes. And every state has equal voice in that choice. Which means Wyoming's vote with its population of like 600,000 people counts just as much as California's votes with its tens and tens and dozens and of millions of people. Right. So if you thought that the electoral college gave a disproportionate power to low population states, <laughs> this is even worse. It is just yeah. plain ridiculous. But hey, I can hear you thinking, I can hear it out there. That's not terrible. I mean, after all, the Democrats control the House and the Democratic candidate has the most votes, so the will of the people, at the very least, should prevail. Like, at least the person with the most votes 
in the national vote will have will win the presidency. That would be cool, but not so fast. <laughs> Hold on, because this is politics and it never works like that. Each state only gets one vote. So control of the House doesn't really matter. What matters is who controls the states. It matters how many red and blue states there are, for lack of a better term. And right now, there are 26 red states. True. Um, this determination would actually be made by the next Congress. So it's not made by the outgoing Congress. It's made by the incoming Congress, Congress based on the election, which I think is how it should be. It should be based on the will of the people's choice. Um, but... Chances are, and looking at the numbers right now, uh, there's not going to be really any significant change about red state, blue state, you know, who controls what within the House of Representatives. So we're probably would likely see 26 blue controlled states and 24, uh, sorry, 26 red controlled states and 24 blue controlled states. So that would mean that Trump would likely take the election if it went to the House of Representatives. Unless... Ooh, unless I like those. There is another twisty in this little story here. The Twelfth Amendment has some ambiguity within its words. Um, and that would almost certainly be leveraged in this case. So I'm going to read the actual wording of the text we're going to look at. Uh, and it says, the person having the greatest number of votes for president shall be the president if such number be a majority of the whole number of electors appointed. And it's those last five words, like much of the archaic language around the Constitution, and I am looking at you, Second Amendment, Second Amendment. Anyway, those five words, they're just a little too wiggly by modern legal standards. And legally is a, uh, an accepted word. That's a term of art, if you will, in, in the legal field. We're not, <laughs> we don't have the founding fathers that we can just call up right now. So we're not quite sure what they intended when they said electors appointed. The logical interpretation of that is that it means the electors that have already been appointed by the results of the popular vote. So if this went to the House right now, Joe Biden would win. Handle. Right. Trump's only got 213 electoral votes. Biden's got, depending on your count, 253 or 264. Uh, either one of those is bigger than, <laughs> than right. Trump's. So if it is of the electors that have already been decided by the country, whoever has the most gets it, Biden would take it. But but some argue that the wording just means that all electors who have been appointed by law, that is to say, so Georgia's 16 hypothetical electors instead of the actual 16 electors themselves, right? I think it's, I think it's 16. So this discrepancy between is it electors who have already been assigned by the popular vote or electors who have been assigned by the census and the distribution of representatives, that's where the fight would come in. Yeah. 
And unfortunately, that fight would be resolved by an agreement between the House and the Senate, which are opposite parties. And will probably still be opposite parties yeah. uh, in 2020. It looks like it's going to be Republican-controlled Senate unless there's some sort of miracle uh, for Democrats in the remaining Senate, outstanding Senate elections. But I don't think it's going to happen. So what would happen in that case is we'd go back to what I previously talked about. It would get kicked to the House, and then we'd see them vote on it. Um, technically, the electors appointed portion takes precedence. So if they could agree on something, that would determine the president. But you know Mitch McConnell would never agree to that interpretation because he would definitely want it to be kicked to the House of Representatives um, so that it would be voted on by state, state by state. So that's probably what would happen in this specific election. Um, but yeah, the short answer is if nobody reaches 270, it's, you know, it goes to the House of Representatives to be decided. Man, the, the troubles that come to us from our good old constitution and the archaic mm -hmm. language. Mm-hmm. That language, the, the way they wrote it, is precisely the reason that the Second, Amend a Second Amendment has provided so much trouble for modern-day legal and political scholars. Yeah. We can talk about that in its own episode. I would actually love to talk about that in its own episode. Because it turns out <laughs> it might not be as cut and dry as you have been led to believe. Shocker, I know. Gasp! I mean, granted, like... Living in the, the Mid-South, uh, I don't think it would matter what the general no. consensus said no. that the Second Amendment said. No. It would be as cut and dry as it always no. was. Yeah. But, the Second Amendment says that I can own a stinking Comanche attack helicopter. So, deal with it. I mean, I wouldn't say no to having a Comanche attack I mean, it would helicopter. be pretty cool. <laughs> it would be freaking awesome. Mm. But... I love my guns, okay. just for the record. I do love shooting. I am, I am all for that. But yeah, it is a complicated topic that is way more uh, nuanced and difficult to tease out than a simple, the Constitution says you can own guns. Right. Um, <sighs> all right. So the, another question we've got uh, about procedure and precedent and... and the minutia of how government works is what happens if neither the House or the Senate gain what's called a controlling majority? What does that mean? Yeah. Okay, so this actually is one of those questions that sounds like way more of a problem than it actually is. Um, if you remember from our Electoral College episode, the United States Constitution doesn't actually mention parties. Um, there were never really meant to be parties in the United States Senate or in any part of our government at all. Um, so there was never really meant to be a controlling majority. That's more of a modern day arrangement that we view as being foundational. Um, but we can talk about it just a little bit, right? So there are exactly 100 senators. And so it is technically possible for there to be a 50-50 split between Democrats and Republicans in the Senate. But Thankfully, the framers of the Constitution foresaw this, and Article 1, Section 3 of the Constitution actually provides a pretty straightforward answer. Yes. The Vice President is the President of the Senate, 
he or she is the 101st vote, thus breaking any tie that may occur in the Senate. Uh, given the state of politics right now, there would likely always be a tie in the Senate yeah. if it was a split split 50-50. So the vice president would give their party the technical majority. Um, and then likely we would refer to the party of the president and the vice president as the majority party, and the minority party would be whichever other party that was. In both the House and the Senate, they would just hold a vote to determine the appropriate positions, the lead positions in those bodies. So, for example, the Speaker of the House would be whoever managed to secure 218 votes from all the members in the House of Representatives. Right now, the shorthand is basically whoever has the controlling majority determines among themselves who they will all vote for. And then there's a formal vote where the entire party votes for that person. Uh, but since they're the majority, that person becomes the Speaker. And it's basically like a mini electoral college, actually. Another one, this one, another one that sounds difficult, but isn't. Georgia's Senate race, one of them might go to a runoff. And what does that mean? What is this is actually, election? yeah, this is really relevant to the last question that we answered. Um, because right now it looks like there's an excellent chance that what happens in Georgia's Senate race will um, determine whether or not we have a split or a majority in the Senate at all. According to Georgia law, if no candidate for Senate receives 50% of the vote in their election, then they have to go to a runoff race, which means that the top two contenders in each Senate race will face a second election in January, and the candidate that wins that election will win the Senate seat. Uh, both of Georgia's Senate seats are set to go to those, one, because it was a special election, and there were a bunch of candidates, and nobody obviously got 50%, and then the second one, because the votes were split very, very, very closely, um, and the leading candidate dropped below 50% um, in their election. Granted, those results are not official, they're not final as the time we're recording, so there's an, a chance that that could change, uh, but right now it looks like both of those Senate seats will go to a runoff and have a direct effect on which party holds a majority in the United States Senate. Yeah. So a runoff election just means that only two people can run at yeah. that point. So guaranteeing one of them gets a majority, the 50%. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the arguments actually in favor of something we kind of touched on, which was the uh, immediate runoff form mm -hmm. of voting or ranked choice where you just, instead of, you know, we have the election, we announce the results, nobody gains 50%. So we hold a whole other election and, and just jump through the hoops. You just do it all at once. Yeah. So you rank your choices. All right. If this person doesn't get the majority, then I want my votes to go to this person and so on and so forth. Um, until somebody ends up with 50% of the vote and it basically streamlines the whole process, makes it faster is way more efficient. It's just better in every way, and we should probably do it. Um, <laughs> a lot of that may have been opinion. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Right. You can tell. Okay, so there's there's been a lot of kerfuffle, a lot of lawsuits filed, uh, basically demanding that we not count any votes that arrive in the states after election day. These would be mail-in votes, absentee votes, military votes, all kinds of votes. Um, the president is demanding essentially that we stop counting any of those that arrive after the polls close on election day. But does he have any legal grounds for asking for that to happen? The short answer is no. And we can move on.
Uh, no, a good no, Yeah, no. The long answer is that it's up to it's up to individual state law. There's no federal standing that he has. If somebody thought that there was a law being broken with respect to votes arriving after election day, they could bring that lawsuit through the normal process and sue for whatever form of resolution they thought necessary. However, most of the states this is being questioned in this this counting votes that arrive after election day. So like Pennsylvania, Nevada, probably Arizona, basically any state that Trump thought he was winning in and now he isn't. Um, any all of those states have some sort of provision for ballots that were postmarked before the election and arrived after or that arrived after election day, that sort of thing. What's important to remember here is that the United States Postal Service was hamstrung by the Trump administration and Louis DeJoy. Um, we have a whole episode about it. Just a reminder, if you haven't listened to it, go back and check it out. Um, that hamstringing was specifically to delay the delivery of mail-in ballots, to, mm-hmm. to make that not possible. And if you think that I am being hyperbolic here, roll the tape. This is, <laughs> this is 2020. There is a quote for everything. So in an interview on Fox Business Network, Trump explicitly noted two funding provisions that Democrats were seeking for a relief package that had stalled on Capitol Hill. And he said, without that additional money, the Postal Service won't have the resources to handle a flood of ballots from voters who are seeking to avoid polling places during the coronavirus pandemic. Here is the exact quote. He says, if we don't make a deal... That means they don't get the money. That means they can't have universal mail-in voting. They just can't have it. That was Trump to Maria Bartiromo. That is the fact. That is the story. That is why the Postal Service hit the mess-ups that it hit this year. Yeah. Plain as day. So, again, this is skewing our bias towards fact. That is a fact. He, he, uh, yeah. he said these words out loud. <laughs> we didn't make him say it. We didn't make him say it on television multiple times to multiple people. Yeah. Yeah, that was only one of the quotes. There, go just Google it. You can find a million. Yeah. So what is happening with the post office? Speaking of, Robin, right. well, what's going I mean, on? Beyond beyond all of this that we talked about earlier um, in our, our Vote by Mail episode, there's, there's a lot to talk about in relation to this specific election, um, but the most kind of prominent thing that's happening right now is that the United States Postal Service, or more accurately, the leadership of the United States Postal Service, directly defied a court order that they were given um, that said that they had to do a final sweep for all mail-in ballots in key battleground areas before the end of day on Tuesday. A judge, a federal judge said, look, you guys better get your booties in there and look for any ballots that might possibly be left so that they can all get out on time. Because because states have these laws basically saying that if, if your ballot's not postmarked, if it doesn't leave the post office by election day, it doesn't get counted. So the, their lawyers, lawyers for the United States Postal Service claimed that there was no time for them to complete the sweeps to get the postal inspectors in there before 3 p.m. as they were ordered, but they insist that the sweeps were indeed done. Um, And according to the USPS, only 13 ballots were found still in the post offices 
in those battleground states, in those key areas, and those were delivered as, as appropriate. However, the handling of this election by Louis DeJoy and the USPS will likely come under very significant scrutiny in the next several weeks, as organizations like the NAACP claim that the entire process was mishandled. So we may actually have a significant case of voter suppression on our hands, and, and a federal judge did say in this whole hearing process that somebody may very well have to pay the consequences for uh, what happened on Tuesday in the post office. So Yeah. And I think actually the same judge just gave DeJoy an extended deadline to now go through and, and do, I think, two sweeps a day for the next couple of days. Interesting. To find more. Because there are reports of significant numbers of mail-in ballots missing yes. in these in these areas, which again kind of goes back to this idea that most of the claims that are coming from the Trump administration and from from Republicans in general right now are projections of what they themselves are doing, and I think that comes from the. I think that comes from the fact that they know they're doing these things, so they expect the other party to be doing these things. <laughs> right. So they're just they're like saying, well, they're doing them, they're doing them, they're doing them, and all that's happening is it's re- it's shining a spotlight on the stuff that they're yeah. doing. So yeah, I'm I'm very very interested to see how this plays out over the course of the next week or so. Who knows that you know if Georgia comes down to ten ballots, that <laughs> those thirteen might make the difference. Right. You never know. I mean, things are getting real, real squeaky out there. Yeah. So in case anybody hasn't seen the numbers on this yet, uh, mail-in ballots, especially in these battleground areas, uh, these these Democratic-leaning areas, they're leaning something like 80% Biden, 20% Trump, which is why you're seeing massive jumps in Biden's numbers as the mail-in ballots get counted. So any, any sort of like significant amount of these ballots that have been found are very, very likely to uh, actually favor Biden and not mm-hmm. Trump. So the suppression that we're seeing, the fraud that we're seeing is in Trump's favor or the potential fraud that we have some evidence for. I shouldn't say we're seeing it. We are seeing the beginnings of evidence for these claims. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it seems this... to favor Trump. Yeah, these outstanding ballots, um, I think the last number that I saw was something like 300,000 unaccounted for absentee ballots in these key battleground areas. But we also have to factor in things like people requesting ballots and then voting in person Mm -hmm. and and other things that are happening there. So it will be really interesting to see what these continued sweeps turn up, if they turn anything up. Mm -hmm. And eventually all of those ballots will be accounted for. We just don't have that accounting right now. And we probably won't have it for several weeks. So yeah. um, this is this highlights. Yeah, this highlights exactly what the biggest thing Trump has done to America. The worst thing I think that he has done to America directly is undermining confidence in our systems, undermining confidence in our, our, the way we do things. You know, I'm seeing otherwise sane people talking about how we just can't trust the election results anymore. And that that is so scary yeah. on, a, on an existential level for our country. That is terrifying. That is the, that is the type of talk that leads to the downfall of empires. Mm-hmm. Before we cash out, 
I know that you have had some conversations this week that you wanted to discuss. Take yeah. a little bit of a detour. Yeah, and then um, I think we can do that. We can do our normal plug. And then do you have any good news this week? Do we have a good news story? Well, I mean, I don't like. I don't want to give it all away right now, but I think the good news is that this is the most incredible voter turnout that the United States has seen. Yeah. Yeah. In a we, very, okay. very long time. We'll talk about that. Then. Okay. Let me let me talk about this really quick. Yeah. I just like I want to highlight something. It's a it's a it's a little case study, very small. This is we're getting into opinion territory for this conversation, but it's about these posts that you're seeing or almost guaranteed to be seeing on social media talking about no matter who wins, you know, we can still be friends or the winner doesn't matter how you treat people does or no matter who wins, God is in control, stuff like that. You've probably seen some iteration of these posts and to a person, everyone that I have seen who is posting them, posted them on Tuesday, (laughs) voted for Trump and then immediately turned around and started showing their hypocrisy as soon as the vote total started coming in. Right. I digress. That is not what I wanted to talk about, but check yourself. If you're going to be posting stuff like that, live it. Don't just expect other people to live it. You know, don't, don't talk about these ideals of treat every, everybody well, respect everybody. And then as soon as your team's not winning the game anymore, throw your tantrum and stomp out. Don't be a hypocrite. Pisses me off more than anything. All right, moving on. What I want to do is highlight how posts like these are a prime example of privilege. Or in in the case of the God one, really just bad theology. So for the people who post these, whoever wins the election likely won't actually affect or impact their life in any truly significant way. They were mostly... No, not mostly. They were all white, middle class, straight, Christian or self-proclaimed Christian or religious uh, people. And the thing is, like, nobody is nobody's going to come after their marriage. Nobody's going to say that they can't be in this country. Nobody is going to treat them poorly based on the color of their skin. Nobody's going to force them out of their homes or and into the streets or take their health care or any of a number of other things that are very real possibilities for vast swaths of Americans in our society. Like, we, to be able to say that whoever wins the election really won't impact me beyond my 401k is going to be damaged or I might have to pay more for gas, something like that. Like, that is so privileged. That is like, so, do you realize how lucky you are to be able to say that? They sound nice. They sound nice. They're they're an ideal in a way, you know? Yes, we should all be able to get along no matter who the president is. But they display the author's inability to empathize with people on the margins. Christians who have suffered under the Trump administration aren't comforted by poorly thought out theological ideations about God being in control. Saying it doesn't matter who is president fails to consider the hundreds of thousands of Americans who stand to lose their health care if Trump gets his way and repeals the Affordable Care Act. The statement in and of itself shows that the poster can't or won't accept that reality is any different or any more difficult than the reality that they live in. 
And at first, at first, seeing these things really annoyed me. But I realized that I was exactly these people. This is who I was. I was raised by some of these people, you know, before I actively branched out and tried to understand things from another perspective. Before, before I could even do that, though, I had to accept that there was another perspective, right? That it, not everybody had lived the same life that I had. And these folks haven't had that revelation yet. And, and they may never, honestly. They might not. But talking with them and trying to get them to understand and... And if you're one of these people trying to get you to understand how those statements might come off poorly, might not be well thought out, um, might be a good, I hope that these are good inroads rather to opening up uh, a path to that realization, a path to, you know, wait a minute, you know, yeah, it doesn't affect me, but that doesn't mean it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And that's really the core of the issue is too many people think, well, if it doesn't affect me, then it doesn't matter. If it doesn't affect me, it doesn't matter. And that is something, that, an idea I feel like I've seen a lot of, or at least it's been on greater display recently. Again, it's a very, very, very tall mountain to, to climb right. to kind of take that sort of problem head on. But here we are, you know, we just took a step. Yep. Hmm. progress man we're making progress one little step at every a time. day one person at a time that's all the, that's all that matters the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step pretty oh, sure it's man yeah, if we're gonna play cliches today bam bam, bam bringing it out Woo. robin tell people how they can reach us and what they can do to help us all out and help help us take steps What's a step that people can take right now? The first step that you can take is if you are listening to this podcast and you are enjoying this podcast, you can tell other people that you are enjoying this podcast. Yes. We would absolutely be indebted to you. So grateful if you would take the time to review our podcast. If your preferred podcast listening device allows you to do so. There is a link that you can find on our Facebook page, which is just Fireside Breakdowns, that takes you directly to an app that will help you do that in whatever way is most advantageous for you. If you choose to listen on a podcast listening app that does not allow for reviews, we would love it if you would leave us one on Facebook. If you would tell other people that you enjoy listening to our podcast or that we make you think or that you like to put us on in the car and have hypothetical arguments with us as we talk, whatever you would like to tell people. Um, if you would just share with them that you like to engage with us, that would be that would be a great gift to us going forward. Yeah. If you would like to make a request for something you'd like to hear us talk about on the show, Facebook is a great place to do it. Again, that is Facebook, um, facebook.com, and then just search for Fireside Breakdowns. We did have a listener request earlier this week. Um, J.W. Lindsay, I believe it was, asked if we would break down the difference between what we used to call when I was a kid, first world, second world, third world countries. Um, that may not be politically correct. 
anymore, but we can get into all of that when we inevitably tackle that listener-requested mm-hmm. topic. We, we are definitely glad to do that. Great question. Great question. He also left us a, uh, a review on Facebook. Um, yes. So kind. So, yes. Thank you very much. We do appreciate that. Yes. Um, um, an, example, and then, an example to all of our listeners. <laughs> yes, all of you, everybody. Uh, should you not be particularly fond of the social medias, you can also send us an email, um, especially if you, let's say you have evidence of some of this fraud that President Trump is deciding to bring to the national stage. We would love if you'd email that to us. Please, Please send us an email with that love evidence. Um, our email address is firesidebreakdowns at gmail.com. And we would love to hear from you there as well. Beautiful. Um, so, yeah, the good news. The good news for this week, we kind of touched on it. Massive voter turnout. Yes. Even in the midst of a pandemic. That is huge. Incredible. Huge. Huge. Yeah. So, if you voted, thank you. Seriously. Thank yes. you. Yes. If you didn't vote, I'm going to assume it's because you can't. Correct. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you're Atticus and you're six. Maybe. Atticus, don't vote for another 12 years. But as soon as you can, hit them polls, buddy. Yes. I mean, it's something like the biggest voter turnout since, biggest percentage, the highest turnout rate since 1900. The most people yeah. who have ever voted in an American election, ever. Yeah. Awesome. Biden got more votes than any candidate has ever received, which is pretty cool. I That's don't, pretty phenomenal. I don't think that was a percentage. I think it was a, as, a, as a raw number. Right. Which is naturally going to happen as our population increases. Right. We probably won't hold that for a terribly long time. But it is still something to be celebrated. It is still fantastic. I was very encouraged to see that our early vote, mail-in vote turnout was over 100 million. It was something like 102 million votes. I was going to be stoked if we hit 90. So Yeah. Absolutely thrilled that we hit 100 million. Incredible. That, that actually means that our day of voting was only was less than our than our early vote count. Yeah, uh, USA Today it. is saying something like 160 million people voted this year, and they don't compare in this particular article uh, mail-in to in-person. But hmm. it's still ridiculous. Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, 102, I know 102 million people did mail or early vote. So that would leave roughly 58 million people who did day of voting. Yeah. Which is just crazy because there were lines everywhere. Everywhere. Uh, So I I would not be surprised if we got adjusted numbers that kind of took that up a little bit later on because I feel like it was more than that. This is just great. I, I know historically America has very, very low voter engagement. Very low for our presidential elections and even lower for our off-season non-presidential elections, which is not good for a healthy democracy. No. So. If there was ever an election where your vote counted. Yeah. Dear this listener, is definitely it was this it. one. This is, the, this is that election. Um, I, my hope is that moving forward, we do not lose this fervor for voting. If we can expand every election so that our early vote options take, you know, a month, that we have a whole month to vote in various ways, we are going to see massive turnout no matter what. Um, if we can make voting day a holiday, if we can move it to a weekend, if we can get it, make it so more people can vote, um, 
legally, of course, don't roll your eyes at me, people. We should be working to make it easier for people who are legally allowed to yes. vote to vote. Exactly. That should be something we can all pursue, no matter what your party is. Then we're going to see record numbers all the time. And I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that uh, our election officials saw the turnout for this and continue to pursue options like they did this year. I think it's great. Fantastic. Best news Any, we could ever hope for. Yes. Any final thoughts? Man. I, I think the one thing that I'm coming away from this election with is that it looks like America really is as divided as we saw representation of in the media going into this election. Um, We heard a lot of talk about how there was this great divide um, in America, and we're seeing the votes actually reflect that. We are seeing that 160 million people cast their vote, and in many cases, we're split so close to right down the middle on what Americans think America should look like. Yeah. And while I'm ecstatic that so many people came out and used their voice, there's a part of me that's a little cringy, a lot cringy, a lot concerned that this many Americans feel like our country should look like Trump's America. That really concerns me. Yeah, I'm with you there. I'm trying very hard to keep my focus on the fact that that is not permanent and it does not have to be permanent and that it can be changed. And I'm not saying that nobody should vote Republican or that you can't be Republican or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there is a better way to be an American. There's a better way to be politically engaged, a better way to be a Republican, a better way to be a Democrat. I will say that there is a better way for us to represent ourselves. Mm -hmm. And the the one good news that I can spin out of that is that a lot of people won't accept that things need to change until a mirror has been held up to show them how bad things actually are. Yep. So I am really hoping that this is a mirror and that it helps provide the impetus that we need to really work on fundamental change. And that starts with reprioritizing how we spend our national budget to sinking more money into our education system to encouraging critical thinking over standardized tests to encouraging diversity of thought to encouraging you know diversity of what we consider intelligence to be to reevaluating these things so if you want an action point, that is one that you can follow immediately. I know elections just wrapped up, but you can turn right around, start petitioning your state and local governments to uh, you know, put more money into the education system, to redirect more of their funds to that, start writing letters to your senators, to your congressmen, to the president. I don't care who it is. We need more money in our schools because that's where this all starts. That's where this yep. all starts. All right. Thank you very much, Robin. This was actually way funner and very cathartic for me. Funner is a real word. It is today. I feel a lot better actually after recording this one. So 
I will talk to you soon. For our listeners, thank you very much. I hope this was cathartic for you, as <laughs> it was for me, um, and, and helped you feel a little better. If not, very sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, take these next two weeks before we get to our next episode and, and really focus on yourself. I mean this. Take care of yourself. <laughs>